Thanks, Asanda. Seven minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The Limpopo ANC Provincial Task Team has held its first media briefing since the disbandment of uh, the Provincial Executive Committee. In March, the ANC-NEC uh, disbanded the Limpopo PEC following reports of factionalism and appointed uh, a 15-member Provincial Task Team. So we'll be talking to the uh, chairperson of that Task Team shortly. Uh, Philmon Dagger will be joining us on the line. And and a group of high school learners from the South Peninsula High School in Deep River has joined a protest outside the Western Cape High Court against the planned closure of 17 schools in the province. That's another story that uh, we're looking at this hour. And of course, Gauteng Police not ruling out uh, any possibility, uh, of course, that uh, the case involving a Zimbabwean Sangoma could be linked to human trafficking syndicates. Just uh, some of the stories that we have for you right here on Midday Live. At SFM, South Africa's news and information leader, of course, uh, the regulars, uh, we also welcome your SMSs on 34701. We welcome your tweets as well at SAFM Midday Live at Kuala B News and your emails at middaylivesabc.co.za or at Kuala B at sabc.co.za. To our top story, this hour, Parliament's Labour Committee has rejected a proposal that workers should once again vote on whether they should go on strike. Opposition parties say voting on strike action would limit intimidation and violence and give industrial action more legitimacy. Let's, of course, that the bill places further restriction on labor broking and enables the Minister of Labor to prescribe thresholds for trade unions to have organizational rights of access to employer premises. Yanni van Ransberg joins us now. He is our parliamentary correspondent. Yanni, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, morning. All right, uh, three critical issues here. Obviously, the first one, the, the, the oversight committee was to was to look at uh, the holistically the labour relations amendment bill with a three, uh, with a, f- a special focus on three things, which is labour broking, which is the threshold, uh, and and the rights really to 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 strike. Just talk us through some of the issues that came through here. I see the opposition parties uh, are saying that. Uh, Voting on strike action would limit intimidation and violence, but uh, I'm sure the, 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 the ruling party is not happy with this. That's quite correct. You know, um, prior to the Constitution being adopted in 1995, <laughs> 96, sorry, um, there was actually in the Labor Relations Act, it, 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 it did provide for workers to vote before uh, uh, embarking on strike action. Uh, since the Constitution was adopted, that was done away with. Um, but now, um, it, you know, there's a proposal to, to bring uh, balloting uh, on strike action back into the Labor Relations Act again. Um, the ANC feels that, uh, you know, workers are represented by, by uh, labor unions who, who are bargain on their account in labor, you know, in, in negotiating councils and that kind of stuff. And they have a mandate um, from the workers to embark on strike action you know, or declare uh, a dispute and uh, declare a strike action if, if, if needs be. They feel that, uh, you know, it, it's pointless to, um, you know, to actually have um, negotiate and then go back. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get some audio on this car. On this <laughs> sure, sure, I can imagine it's a madhouse, everyone it's, trying it's, to file their stories. Office. Yes, 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 yes. But yes. anyway, uh, as I said, they feel they do not need to go back to, to the, uh, to the uh, workers to, again, you know, we've already given them the, the, the mandate to, to negotiate on their behalf, then to go to, um, you know, to, for them to vote to say, should we go on strike or not? Mm. So, um, they um, basically they forced the issue. They, they you know because they were actually going to vote on the bill clause by clause from next week onwards, but they they felt that you know this clause should just be scrapped. So they voted on this thing, uh, and, and obviously with the ANC majority in the committee, they that that clause has now been scrapped. Okay, and another issue is that of uh, labour brokering. Talk us through that. What uh, came out of uh, the briefing today? Yes, well, you know, uh, again, the proposal is that labor brokering or that uh, temporary workers should be limited to six months. You know, anybody who's, who is employed for a period longer than, than six months uh, should be regarded as, as a permanent worker. Um, and, and basically, you know, that, that has uh, inherent in that the protection of the workers itself. The ANC actually wants 
to, to bring it down to zero. You know, if, if you employ somebody, it should be uh, a, a permanent um, employee from the word go. Now, that, as I, you know, also, according to the, the opposition parties, has certain implications. Um, you know, if you, if, if you have a, a, want to employ a, a bricklayer, for instance, uh, you know, for a short period, you have to employ him then for, as a permanent worker, which has uh, your medical aid and pension implications and that kind of stuff. So um, basically, as, as we speak, you know, the committee is still sitting and they're still negotiating on this thing. Okay. But it seems that, uh, that that's the position of the two, uh, the, the opposition and the ANC at this stage. Yanni van Rensberg, our parliamentary correspondent, thank you very much. Uh, let's uh, talk some more uh, on this issue and uh, talk to uh, Gavin Brown. He's an independent Labour analyst. Mr. Brown, hello. Hi there. All right, uh, the, the Labour Relations Amendment Bill was to look at... Um, uh, at least some outstanding matters, including regulation of labor brokers uh, described in the bill as a temporary employment service providers and strike ballots and the picketing rules. Those were the three critical issues that were still outstanding. What is your, your, your sense of the deliberations uh, at the Parliament's uh, Oversight Committee today? Well, I, I think on the strike issue, this will not cause too much concern for employers. Employers have lived under a regime where strike ballots were mandatory and they've lived under the regime, as your reporter described, where they're not mandatory. Uh, So I think if you approach it from a democratic point of view, it is right and proper that when strike action is undertaken with so much potential harm to individuals, to businesses, and in some cases the country, that it's right and proper that a majority of people should be in favor of that action within the union. In practice, what happens is that a very small group of people, uh, together with their supporters, are sometimes in a position uh, to bring entire operations to a halt through intimidation uh, and and various other things. But I, I don't think for employers... Uh, it's the end of the world. They will they will live under either of those regimes and, and uh, you know, overcome any difficulties. The bigger problem is the labor brokers. Mm. But before, mean, before we move on mm. to, to, to the labor brokering, so the opposition parties have positioned their argument well then by citing that uh, this will limit intimidation and violence if there was a secret uh, vote. Absolutely. And, I mean, the, you know, this... That's not just pie in the sky. You can look internationally, and that has been the experience all over the world. Uh, The great battles between Margaret Thatcher and the unions hinged actually on that very issue. And she ensured, uh, after that particular dispute, that in future workers could only go on strike um, if they had voted as a majority in favor of strike action. And that cut down dramatically the number of wildcat strikes and the incidence of intimidation. Mm. I can understand why unions don't want to have a ballot. It's because employers will seek legal points to declare strikes unlawful, which I think is quite legitimate in the power play. Uh, and it, in fact, you know, it's never been easier in South Africa to go on a protected strike than it is at the moment. Uh, it really is very simple. There are no major hurdles to overcome legally. Mm. And I think that this proposal makes it possible for small groups of individuals uh, to create havoc within the workplace and in larger sectors within the economy. It's not only the unions who are opposed to this. Even the ANC in, the, in that uh, uh, Labour Committee, Parliament's Labour Committee, are opposed to this. They're saying that, uh, look, uh, union members have elected union leaders, so they go and sit in the bargaining councils, and if they issue a notice to strike, that's enough. No, I'm afraid it isn't always enough because uh, very often those leaders haven't been elected directly by the workers. They've come up through various committees and subcommittees and lists and things like that. Um, And I I think it's fanciful to say that just because you belong to the union, automatically you're going to agree with every decision it makes, Mm. Uh, particularly decisions which might deprive you of an income for long periods of time. So I don't think that holds much water.
All right, and uh, Busa Business Unity South Africa says, uh, you know, uh, inconsistent messages from uh, the government about uh, the labor market, referring specifically to labor brokering, further damage business confidence and negatively affect South Africa's already weak economic growth projections for this year. So the issue of uh, labor brokering really is a thorny issue right now. What do you make of it? You know, the, what the committee has done so far betrays such an economic ignorance of the labor market that that I find it hard to believe. Um, And I must say, I am inclined to think that this controversy is politically engineered to ensure that no changes to this bill become law until very much closer to or after next year's election. I do not believe that the economic leadership of our country, and I include there Busa, the Treasury, the ministers in the cabinet responsible for economic affairs, I simply cannot believe that they would allow such an inherently flawed piece of legislation to become law, a piece of legislation which almost guarantees further job losses on a very large scale. Mm. So I am less alarmed by the activities of this committee because they, they are literally so stupid from an economic point of view that I believe that it's purely political pandering. Right. But uh, it, it, it's, it's quite risky, really, not to come out and say this is what we're going to do as government because uh, a, a week and a half ago, uh, parliamentarians, at least in the Portfolio Committee, were saying that uh, they want this uh, labor broking abolished completely. But they kind of like somersaulted and they said no, they were misquoted and misunderstood. Well, you see, this is why I believe that it's political pandering. Um, the government could not afford to go into next year's election in the wake of massive retrenchments across the public sector and the private sector as a result of any ban of labor broking. They simply couldn't afford the political risk of doing that. So I believe what you're seeing in the Portfolio Committee is uh, activity which is designed to reassure Kasatu going into the election campaign Mm. that the ANC supports their position on this issue. But the actual transmission of that committee's report into law, I simply cannot see happening um, in the face of opposition from, as I say, the economic leadership of the country. And that includes a number of very senior cabinet people. And, and very briefly, Mr. Brown here, the, if, if the labor brokers were to be abolished, do you really foresee job losses? Very briefly. I foresee massive job losses. How so? Well, employers will be faced with a number of different situations. The first one will be that they will have a whole lot of people on their books um, from the labor brokers who they now simply are going to terminate because they cannot afford, neither do they want to, start assigning the status of permanent employment to employees who, by their very nature of their work, are designed to be temporary and flexible. So there will be a massive first round of retrenchments. Uh, and that will be not only in the private sector. You know, people forget that the government is the biggest user of labor-breaking services in the country. Okay. So it's going to affect service delivery as well, All both right. at local, provincial, and national level. Kevin Brown, so, we, we have to, to, to leave it at that. But thank you very much for your insight. He's an independent labor analyst at 20 past 12. Our top story this hour, Parliament's Labor Committee has rejected the proposal that workers should once again vote on whether they should go on strike. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,370.50 an ounce. Platinum at $1,489.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 10 rand 30 cents against the US dollar at 16 rand to the pound and 13 rand 70 to the euro. This June, Classic Feel magazine has everything you require from South Africa's number one arts, culture and lifestyle magazine. Are you headed to the National Arts Festival? Then this issue is essential reading for you. Read exclusive features on the latest in music, visual art, theatre, cinema and literature. Get the June issue of Classic Feel magazine, available now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Find out more at www.classicfeel.co.za Every melody, there's a memory. You know, I'm a soul singer. I've always been. I mean, I have grown quite a lot, but soul has always been what I'm about. Relive it on Afro Cafe.
Cafe, where your favorite stars take the spotlight every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Let the journey begin only on SABC2. Just to quickly, some SMSs responding to that uh, uh, labor broking story that we were talking about. Uh, Ernest says, Bongi, please get rid of right-wing DA spokesmen who masquerade as commentators like that brown guy. Wow. And uh, this one coming through from Joe in Peter Marisberg, it really bottles the mind as to how the ban on labor broking would result in job losses. Which jobs? And this one from Jim Mashlangu says, uh, will temp post office and teachers be appointed on a permanent basis and receive a 60% increase? That's Jim Mashlangu there. And uh, this one coming from Jay on 34701. Midday live, when the mine workers are on strike, do the union bosses also not receive a salary? It's a question by Jay. All right, uh, this is uh, Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader on 34701. Let's go to Limpopo now, where the Limpopo ANC Provincial Task Team has held its first media briefing since the disbandment of the Provincial Executive Committee. In March, the ANC NEC disbanded the Limpopo PEC, that's a Provincial Executive Committee, following reports of factionalism and appointed a 15-member Provincial Task Team. The PTT has already disbanded three regional executive committees and two are to be placed under administration. Joining us on the line right now is the chairperson of the Limpopo Provincial Task Team, Philmon Daga. Mr. Mdaga, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to the listeners of SASM. Right. What, what, what was your mandate as the PTT? What were you set up to achieve? Well, first and foremost, uh, good afternoon. Um, our mandate is to indeed uh, try and rebuild the ANC in the province. As you know, that uh, the province was dragged by the issue of institutionalized factionalism. Uh, so that is our major issue in terms of uh, our mandates to make sure that we have uh, strong ANC structures on the ground. Uh, at the regional levels as well as the provincial level. Three months down the line, have you achieved that, or at least are you uh, en route to achieving that? Obviously, three months is not enough time. The PTT is only supposed to be there for nine months, which is also a very short time to try and do a lot of work in terms of uh, rebuilding what was not right in the past. As you know, many of the problems of the African National Congress actually coming from the Popo province. Without me going to the history of the issues, um, you know very well what was happening. And um, as the PTT, it took us almost three months to take a decision whether to disband or not to disband the structures on the ground. Because our role is not to destroy, but to try and rebuild and also make sure that we meet all comrades that are quite important in the province uh, to make sure that they are actually part of this project. Because it can be a project of uh, the few of mm. us in the PTT, but it must be a project of all of us as the ANC in the province, all members of the ANC, all disciplined traders of the African National Congress in the province should be engaged. And within these three months, that is exactly what we're doing. All right. I'll come back to this question. You're talking about engaging every member there. I just want to know what will happen to Castle Matale there. He was the chairperson of the ANC in Limpopo. What is the role that he's currently playing right now? Are you even engaging him in any of your duties that that you 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 you, you undertake. Comrade Kassan Matala is still a member of the ANC. He's a deputy of the ANC in the province. At the moment, he's the leader of government. And as a PTT, we work with all our deputies in government. So we have already met him. Within the first few days in office, we actually uh, met with, uh, you know, Kassan Matala and his cabinet. And we also met with the municipalities, uh, PMTs, uh, throughout the province. We, they came in to us where we had a meeting to try and introduce ourselves in terms of how we're going to work together going forward. All right, let's talk about uh, the the regional executive committees that you've disbanded and others placed under administration. Just talk us through those, just highlight a few, and, and, and why those and why not the others? 
Well, in actual fact, there's no region that was not supposed to be disbanded in this province. We were supposed to have actually disbanded all of them. But uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you have to check as to whether that is the right thing to do and uh, whether we'll have enough time to indeed uh, start rebuilding everywhere, you know, because that is one choice that we had to make. Uh, that is where we started initially when we met on the first, uh, you know, few days when we were in office. And actually, fact, we took that decision on the 7th of April. Uh, to say we are going to disband all the all the regions, but we had to relook into the issues and check as to which other ones are, you know, can be saved and which other ones just need assistance there and there. And Rembe uh, and Waterbeck happen to be one of those two regions that felt maybe we can be able to go in there and uh, make a way of trying to make sure that uh, we work with those comrades who are there to really move forward with the structures that are there. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, the other three regions had to go. But uh, there's not necessarily a situation where we can say, oh, these regions are safe. It will depend on how they act going forward. Mm-hmm. Like if they cooperate with the PT, PTT, we will be able to really be safe, you know, them and, and work together going forward. Uh, so some would even go as far as saying that uh, those that were saved, Waterbed, for instance, were saved because it adopted a particular stance going to Mangaung, for instance. So the issue of purging comes into play. Would you even entertain that? Um, if you might remember, Waterbed is through its own disbandment. Uh, it is the only region that has been disbanded uh, before the ones, uh, before we even went to disbanding the three regions. Uh, you know, Pombo was disbanded in 2000 and, and 2001, if I'm correct, around May 2001. And um, uh, between that period and now, uh, Waterbed is one region that has been disbanded. Mm. So we were going to be disbanding them for the second time. So we don't want to really create a lot of, you know, stress in our comrades and so on, because the present, I mean, REC that is there in Waterbed, it's an REC that was actually disbanded and, and, and came out of a conference after disbandment. So we, we had to look into those factors as and when we're dealing with their issues. Like I said initially, it's not that, uh, you know, uh, you know, everything is well there, but it's just that we can be able to manage some of the challenges. The, together with the in those regions. So, uh, and, and your work obviously is not really limited to the ANC because it's the ANC that is running that uh, that province. So, you would want to look at other socio-economic issues. The issue of education in Limpopo is is a sad one. No textbook, well, at least uh, some schools have not received every learning and teaching material up to now. What are you going to do about that? Well, education is a top priority, as you know, for our government. And uh, definitely, if we need to make sure that we have a bright future as a country, we need to make sure that our young people are learning and uh, they get, you know, quality, quality education and so on. It is a matter of concern to us as a PTT, but whether that is a speak, um, you know, the learners uh, were delayed to write the exam by almost a week, uh, which is another issue because like, going forward, their final examinations means everything else will be behind. Right? We believe that uh, it's an issue that we will be able to redress and uh, make sure that we again, uh, you know, make sure that education is indeed uh, you know, a winning situation in our problem. Are you going to be talking to the MEC for education there? He's already prepared the coming meetings. We were, we were supposed to have met on Sundays, but unfortunately we, we could not, have, you know, you know, get each other on time. He was supposed to have met us already on Sunday. The only see the working committee of the PTT was having a meeting, and indeed he was already standing by to come and meet us, uh, but uh, we could not finalize that appointment. So we will meet the MEC going forward to try and sort out some of these challenges. All right, uh, uh, Mr. Mtao, we're going to have to invite you back after we've spoken to the MEC so that we get a sense of uh, what was discussed there and what's the plan of action going forward. Thank you very much for your time. Filmon Mdaka there is uh, the chairperson of the Limbopo Provincial Task Team. At uh, 12.30, this is uh, Midday Live. Let's say hello to Sanda Mansanyane, the news headline. Thank you very much, Sanda. Let's uh, say good afternoon to Nancy Richards. Nancy, yesterday you, you were interviewing people who are participating in the encounters, uh, that young filmmaker, short filmmaker there, uh, who really touched on a very sad story. Did they not 
ever, both of them. Both, the both of them, and they yeah. would tell a story immediately after that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing that filmmakers are coming to the party. I mean, whether or not people want to go and see something like that is another issue. But, you know, one needs to have it packaged in such a way that you can see it and appreciate it and think this is not right. So I think it's a... Uh, they were not happy stories to hear, but I think they were important stories to hear. Indeed. Are you going to tell us more about in the, the encounters today? Maybe where can we access it? And so because it's such an important yeah, part absolutely. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in fact, it's, it's screening right now up until the 16th of, Ju- of June, uh, both in Joburg and Cape Town. And I, it's not really time to give out all the details, but it's all on the site uh, encounters.co.za they list all the details it's coming much much further but uh, coming up right now between one and two on yes, otherwise absolutely yes it's forward not backwards okay well, <laughs> what we've got on the show today it's uh, it's the day of the african child in fact so we're going to be hearing about a program to save newborns that's at hudiskia hospital also talk to a medical doctor who's turned to singing which is interesting and we'll be looking at the implications of the constitutional court's ruling on first wives having to consent to a, their husband taking a second wife. So we'll get uh, involved in that. It's what we got lined up for otherwise. Do join us right after the news at one. Thanks, Bongi. Thank you very much there, Nancy Richards, for coming through between one and two. Great radio indeed. Still to come right here on SFM 104 to 107. Let's uh, say good afternoon now to Natalie Jimenez. What will work for us, uh, uh, Natalie? Is it a, a, a win by the Windies or India this afternoon? Well, it doesn't really matter, Bongi, too much because either way, we can still get, South Africa can still get through. If India win today. It does knock out Pakistan, which will give South Africa a better chance of getting through to the semi-finals, because then there's less competition for Mm. those two places, of course. If India win today, they will also definitely be through to the semi-finals, and that can't change. So already one place will be through, and then it'll be down to the South Africa-West Indies game to see what happens. If West Indies win, South Africa can still get through, but it does leave everything pretty much open as well. At the moment, West Indies are 80 for 1, and that's after 15 overs. They've had a good start despite losing Chris Gale. He was dismissed in the fifth over by Kumar, who was caught by Ravichandran Ashwin, who was standing at first slip. A nice catch above his head, and Gale made 21 from 18 with four fours. At the crease now is Johnson Charles, who's doing very well on 42 from 41, and with him is Darren Bravo, the left-hander, who's modelled himself on Brian Lara. He's on 13 at the moment. West Indies had to make one change today. Dinesh Ramden is out and being suspended for two one-day internationals for conduct contrary to the spirit of the game. So he's been suspended for two games. Darren Sammy is in, and it will be Johnson Charles who will keep working for the West Indies. India have made no changes to the team that beat South Africa by 26 runs. So at the moment, 80 for 1 is the score. We're into the 16th over. Natalie Germanis for SFM Sports. Thank you very much, Natalie. It's 25 minutes to 1. This is Midday Live, and this is SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, available for you nationwide on 104 to 107. We welcome your SMS is 34701. The cost of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry continues to rise. The commission was moved from the Rustenburg Civic Center in the northwest to Centurion in Pretoria. Earlier this year, Dalimpofu, representing the injured and killed miners, applied for the commission to be moved to Pretoria, arguing the move would help curb the costs of legal teams not funded by government. Let's speak now to Tsepo Matlang, who is uh, the commission spokesperson. Tsepo, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to you listeners. Help us understand the costs right now. The commission was to take three, four months. Initially, that has been extended by almost... (laughs) another eight months. So uh, the cost obviously will, will, will go up. But right now where we are, how much have the taxpayers uh, forked out for this commission? Do you know? Well, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners. We, we for the benefit of this exercise, perhaps it's better to differentiate the type of costs that the commission has to, that, that the commission actually incurs. You have these costs that are uh, linked directly with the state um, in respect of um, travel, hotel accommodation, as well as other digital costs, including the time spent on the road um, between Pretoria, Johannesburg, and as well as Rustenburg. Mm. You have other costs. Costs that are linked directly to the procuring of services, 
which are critical um, to running the commission. I'm talking about subscribers, the video and audio consultants that are providing service to the, to the, the commission. Mm. And then you have other costs that are not directly linked to the state, which relates to all other um, participants, you know, legal reps. You were talking about a team of no less than 16, um, you know, participants at the commission. So, so, so that then helps us to then, you know, um, put in context the type of cost that are linked directly to the state. Of course you have, you have done that, but help us understand how much has been spent on the commission today. Well, if you put into context, um, one person, the cost of accommodation and subsistence to individuals, uh, in respect of all officials that they um, comprise, evidence leaders, you know, um, talking about the commissioners, the support staff, looking at no less than 1,005 per day, you know. Per person. Now, all, yeah, mm. all those costs, now that the commission is now has moved to Pretoria or, or Centurion, yeah, to be exact, all those co- costs have been saved um, uh, drastically. All right, but but uh, can you confirm reports that some of the senior lawyers, uh, advocates there, uh, are paid uh, or charged as high as uh, twenty-five thousand rand a day? And uh, if one looks at it that way, then it will serve them well if uh, the, the the commission is delayed, then or at least postponed. Well, these are matters between uh, um, the legal reps and their clients. Um, this is the reason why I made that distinction earlier on. We, we as a commission cannot con- confirm about how, how much uh, the legal threats that, that are in the commission uh, are, are charging their clients. You know, we would not have that type of knowledge. Sure. Suffice to say that um, they have, as Ferry, for example, um, as well as um, other participants like um, the lawyers who represent represent the independent arrested, have approached the Commission to say if the co- co- Commission continues to be staged in Fastenberg, those costs um, they will not, no, longer, no longer be able to can afford them. And as a result, uh, they would motivate uh, for a case to move the Commission from Fastenberg to Pretoria. Sepo Matang, thank you very much. He speaks on behalf of the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. As we heard, there, uh, some lawyers and uh, senior advocates charging as, as, as high as 25,000 rand a day, we're told. So uh, what do you make of that? It's a 22-1. Let's stay with this story, but I speak to our PM Kize uh, to t- talk us through the proceedings today at uh, the Commission. Good afternoon, Spiwe. Good afternoon, Bongi. What came out of the Commission sitting today? Well, Bungi, not much this morning. Uh, Poku lawyer uh, Louis Gumbi is currently re-examining uh, Pierre Han. Uh, he's concentrated on police killings countrywide and also made an example of the two police officers that were hacked to death by angry mine workers in August last year in full view of their colleagues. And uh, Gumbi also in this letter is representing the families of those policemen who died uh, uh, two of them are Tieti Monene and Siloli Paku, and is also representing uh, 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 the family and also the officer Baloyi, who was seriously injured during that arrest. Uh, he asked Pierre whether she knew of, of general circumstances that lead to police killings generally here in the country and what her office is doing to fight that. And he's also stressed his point uh, based on a finding that he read out to the Commission that South Africa is, is a very, very violent society. But uh, Pierre did not oppose that, that uh, South Africa is very violent. And she also responded by saying there's violence, uh, yeah, yes, uh, but it would depend on where it happens. And in, 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 um, in terms of uh, violence uh, based on, on marches and, and, and protests, it will also depend on the type of the protest and the situation. But then Gumbi also looked at the issue of health and wellness uh, of employees. Uh, we, we, remember, we know that, uh, remember last year when those uh, police were killed, the two police officers were killed, it was in full view of their colleagues. Now it's, it's, it's 
affected their colleagues, uh, the police officers. So he wanted to find out from Pierre uh, what her office is also doing regarding those who were during the shootings. Mm. Not only the shoot, the, the, not only the key, the hacking uh, to death of those police officers, but also uh, the, 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 the shooting of the 34 minors. Because now those police officers are suffering from depression. Okay. Spiram Kiza, thank you very much. Our reporter was covering the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. Just one SMS unsigned saying, use the commission cost to pay Marikana deceased families. It's unsigned. Gauteng police have not ruled out the possibility that the case involving a Zimbabwean Sangoma could be linked to human trafficking syndicates. Matelia Sibanda and nine males were arrested on Saturday in Drizik, Extension 5, after police rescued 29 people believed to have been kidnapped from the Bait Bridge border post. Police say the kidnappers demanded a ransom for the release of the victims. Edwin Sidi reports. The suspects were arrested in the early hours of Saturday morning in Trizic Extension 5 in Orange Farm following an alleged kidnapping at the Bait Bridge border post. It's alleged that a woman with a 16-month-old baby was reported by her husband as being held against her will in a place unfamiliar to her. Police were alerted and proceeded to trace the woman who was found at a Sangoma's house in the area. Police say at first the suspect had told the husband that they were in Soweto and he must deposit the money for the safe return of his wife. Through investigations, police traced the suspects to a house in Trizic 5 in Orange Farm. Police found 29 people, 16 females and 13 males, aged between 17 and 30 at the home. They are allegedly from Mozambique and Zimbabwe. Neighbors from the area say they have been witnessing suspicious activities at the house for the past two years. They say they would see taxis coming in and out every weekend, packed with people, entering the house in the late hours of the night. The house has 12 rooms, seven of which are bedrooms, and the entrance is barricaded with an iron gate and butler bars. The entrance to the house is a garage door. This neighbor spoke to us on condition of anonymity. We have a rice neighbors here, but only one person who can let people abuse them. Last month I see the old people, only a grannies work hard. Then one day when I pass in that house, I see the granny sleep down on the, on the yard. Then I see that the, that house is not good. During the arrest of the suspects, police seized the two minibus taxis used to ferry the victims. The neighbor says they've seen these taxis on the premises for quite some time now. They only work in the night and no one knows where they are from. They take out the number plates and put them away when they leave. And when they come back, they come back with people. When the people are offloaded at the house, they take away their IDs and cell phones and they will later contact the family members demanding 1,500. What councillor Penimpule says Sibanda acquired the house fraudulently. And now they are in a process of tracing the owner of the house. Mpule was called to the scene on the morning of the arrest. She says she could not believe her eyes as she entered the house. In the house there were blood, meaning that they were hitting them. Yes, they said they've been hitted. Every day they are hitting them, every day. She also says the house was filthy, adding that it appears that a lot of criminal activities were being conducted from the house. There are cats inside the house, there are dogs inside the houses, there are ducks, even a tortoise is there. The miners who were rescued at the house have been taken to a place of safety. Late last night, residents wanted to set the house alight. However, the councillor intervened and police were called to the scene. Councillor Mpule explains. The they are no longer feeling safe to live with such dangerous people in Drizic So I called the police, Metropolis and SAPA. It was there. Then we removed the families. The children, we took 15 children to the police station for safety. And the family, they went out with their own cars. Yes, and the police escorted them to move out from their house. Police spokesperson Gatle Homokhale says they are investigating a possibility that this case could be linked to a human trafficking syndicate. We are not ruling out the possibility that there might have been uh, human trafficking involved. The suspects appeared briefly in court yesterday and were remanded in custody until their next court appearance on the 27th of this month. 
That report by Edwin C.D. and uh, a daily newspaper report this morning, a business section, says Medupi project cracks widen as Basel read GAST fallout. It says ESCOM's long-delayed Medupi power station project has been knocked by another hitch with listed construction and civil engineering group Basel read terminating an 83 million rand contract that it had subcontracted uh, to engineering solution provider GAST. I wonder what will that do to the supply of electricity in this country. Let's uh, talk now uh, to Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities as we go to the markets. How are the markets looking today, Sudhir? Bongi Global markets are under pressure today with uh, Europe emerging markets sorry, taking a knock after the Bank of Japan decided not to increase its stimulus. Europe has tracked Asia lower, with mining firms trading lower today. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks ended a choppy session last night. A little change after rating agency Standard & Poor's revised its U.S. credit rating outlook to stable. On the back of the upgrade, the dollar has been tra- stronger, resulting in the rent trading close to a four-year loss. Four-year low, sorry, as U.S. debt uh, attracts investments at the expense of emerging markets. Locally, the JSE has followed its global counterparts lower today, with the mining and property stocks coming under pressure. In corporate news, uh, Telcom announced today that it would impair its assets by 12 billion rand. Just taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down almost 3%. Resource 10 index is down 2.5%. Industrial 25 index is down just under 2.5%. The financial index is down just over 2%. And overall, the market is down around 953 points, or 2.3%, 39,981. Let's go straight to the stocks on the move today, Sudhir. On the upside, not too many to choose from, but we do have Babel Reed, which is up 1% at 10 rands and 10 cents. Afrox is up almost a percent at 22 rands and 20 cents. Pick and Pay is up 0,3% at 38 rands and 40 cents. Group 5 is up 0,1% at 37 rands and 90 cents. And on the downside, we have Aspen, which is down 5% at 189 rands and 50 cents. Woolworths is down almost 4% at 64 rands and 60 cents. Discovery is down 3,7% at 77 rands and 50 cents. And lastly, we have Vodacom, which is down 3% at 109 rands and 30 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,370.50 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,489.50 an ounce. Brand crude is at $103.60 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 10 rand 30 cents to the dollar, 16 rands to the pound, and 13 rand 70 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much uh, to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. Let's go now to uh, Kenya, where civil society organizations in that country are preparing to hold protests in the capital Nairobi against members of parliament plot to a pay increase, uh, or rather to increase their salaries. The march dubbed Occupy Parliament Reloaded follows two similar protests against what is seen as the greed of the MPs last year. Uh, the protesters held a mock state funeral of the 10th parliament, uh, 10th parliament and uh, two weeks ago they held the much publicized peak protest. Let's talk to our Sarah Kimani now who is in Kenya, Nairobi. Hello Sarah. Okay, we've lost that line to Sarah. We'll try and uh, get Sarah back on the line. Just a couple of SMSs here. This one coming through uh, saying that Bongi, we are a constitutional democracy to outlaw ballot system before strikes is populist and our economy is going to pay the price. Zaki Nomalo in Peter Maritzburg. This thing of labor broker is a threat to SA economy, must be banned from Franz Apane in Johannesburg. It seems that uh, the struggle party will continue to struggle forever. That's Richard Sibandi there. Let's uh, go to this one now by our senior political reporter, Matlaza Gallens. A group of uh, what became known as the London Recruits have been honoured at a little farm north of Johannesburg for their contribution to the struggle against apartheid. The group of uh, then young white men and women were recruited after the armed struggle suffered its biggest blow. In 1963, the farm in Rivonia, north of Johannesburg, where Nelson Mandela and his comrades had plotted to overthrow the white minority rule, was raided. Several leaders of the struggle were arrested and security was heightened, forcing many activists to flee into exile and those remaining in the country faced intimidation and severe restriction. The recruits helped to resuscitate the armed struggle by coming into the country to deliver special letters and pamphlets. 
From working-class British youths to unsung heroes of South Africa's struggle against apartheid, then in their early 20s they had never travelled beyond their country, but they took on dangerous missions, delivering thousands of letters of support and encouragement and became a crucial link between the exiled activists and those who remained in the country. Ronnie Castles, who would become the intelligence minister under President Tabombeki, led the recruitment when he enrolled at the London School of Economics. Nice. 66, 67, there was absolutely nothing that existed in our country in terms of any organized network of the underground. We don't say that easily. We say that we had received a tremendous blow. The exiled leaders decided to fill the void by recruiting young white people who became known as the London recruits. One of them was Mary Chamberlain and her husband, who pretended to be a couple immigrating to South Africa. Unknown to authorities, they smuggled more than 20 packing cases into the country. Hidden in them were comic books telling the effects of apartheid and ending with a call to arms. They also carried with them pamphlets with a short history of the then-banned Communist Party of South Africa. They were distributed to ordinary South Africans in an attempt to help them understand the political situation. For Mary, it was a worthy cause. I just abhor any kind of racism, any kind of injustice. It's, I have a sort of visceral response to it. And apartheid in many ways just epitomized everything that seemed to be wrong with the world in the 1970s. I mean, you know, for our generation, we were brought up, haunted by the Second World War, under the cloud of the Cold War. You know, you had to be active. You had to be international because these were global struggles. There were near misses with the police and other recruits were arrested. However, there were other networks in other cities. Mary was only 23 when she came to South Africa and for many years they had kept their underground missions a secret until last year when a book entitled The London Recruits was written. I'm just finding this whole visit and I think I'm probably going to cry at this point. Very, very emotional. I haven't been to South Africa for over 40 years and to be congratulated, to be acknowledged for something that we did 40 years ago, which we had to keep very, very quiet for security reasons at the time. And then when the regime fell, it was very difficult to talk about it. You couldn't say, oh, by the way, did you know what I did? You can't start that conversation. And suddenly we're here and we're part of or represent really what what young people can do. Founder and CEO of the Lilies Farm Trust, Nick Wilper, says they hosted the London recruits as part of their drive to ensure that the full story of the liberation struggle is told beyond the high-profiled names. And they came into South Africa and they delivered not only a message to the apartheid regime, but a message, I believe, to the millions of South Africans to say, we are far from dead. Yes, we suffered a setback, but that doesn't mean that we're not still around and we're not still conducting the liberation struggle for freedom, justice and equality. The 11th of July will mark 50 years to the day in 1963 when the farm was raided. They will also remember the beginning of the Rivonia trial and the escape from Marshall Square by Arthur Goldreich and Harold Wilper. Mashadze Gallens, SABC News, Johannesburg. The Secretary-General of the United Nations believes an unprecedented opportunity exists to lay the groundwork for the eventual end of the AIDS pandemic. This view is shared in a report to the General Assembly reviewing the implementation of a political declaration on HIV and AIDS adopted by the General Assembly two years ago and setting out time-bound targets to be met by 2015. The reports lauded the progress in expansion access to treatment but warns that up to 24 billion dollars will be required annually to lay the foundations for the end of the disease. Sharon Price Pierce reports. Funding remains one of the biggest concerns. In 2011 almost 17 billion dollars was invested in HIV related activities globally a shortfall of at least 5 billion dollars that will be required annually by 2015. Now we have to expand Antiretroviral therapy. This is a human rights imperative and a public health necessity. Treatment prevents sickness, saves lives, 
and eases the economic hardship that can cripple whole communities. We have brought the cost of many medicines down dramatically. We must continue to push hard for greater results. Ban Ki-moon's report says that by the end of 2011, the number of people with access to treatment increased by 63%. AIDS-related deaths have fallen sharply in hot spots like South Africa, for example, but the report warns that the AIDS epidemic is far from over and remains the leading cause of death among women between the ages of 15 and 49. He again called for shared responsibility and global solidarity. There is not enough funding for programs to help key populations, including sex workers, men who have sex with men, and people who use drugs. I urge more resources for those life-saving initiatives. The 2011 declaration calls for the elimination of mother-to-child transmission, halving sexual and intravenous drug transmission, significantly reducing AIDS-related maternal deaths, and hopes to put 15 million people on ARV therapy by 2015, among other goals. We must move from treating millions with a disease to giving billions the opportunity to live healthy, healthy lives. The HIV response can help to build a stronger, integrated health care systems that respond to broad needs across the society. As the world shapes a post-2015 development agenda, we can draw important lessons from the global AIDS response. The report says low- to middle-income countries should emulate the actions of China and South Africa that have increased domestic investment, while international donors should sustain their investment in HIV-related programs, with urgent attention needed to replenish the global fund. Sherman Bryceby's SABC News at the United Nations, New York. And uh, top stories this hour, independent Labour analyst Gavin Brown says uh, Parliament's discussion on the Labour Relations Amendment Bill is just political pandering. I do not believe that the economic leadership of our country, and I include the abuser, the Treasury, the ministers in the Cabinet responsible for economic affairs, I simply cannot believe that they would allow such an uh, inherently flawed piece of legislation to become law, a piece of legislation which almost guarantees further job losses on a very large scale. And uh, the Limpopo ANC Provincial Task Team held its first media briefing since the disbandment of the Provincial Executive Committee. The chairperson as uh, Provincial Task Team, uh, rather chairperson of the Limpopo Provincial Task Team is Philmon Mdaka. In actual fact, there's no region that was not supposed to be disbanded in this province. We were supposed to have well disbanded all of them. But uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you have to check as to whether that is the right thing to do. And the team today is Tarazela Dlamini, Mandi Samkelu, and Mabuboloka, technical producer Makrela, senior producer Namalezo Mandela, and the EP is Obrisechi. My name is Bongi Kuala. Let's do it again tomorrow.